extend a welcome to you this morning in the name of Jesus, the one who we've been talking about in the Sunday School Hour, the one who has loved us like none other has, has loved. No greater love has we seen than the love of Christ in that he laid down his life for us. This morning I'd like to continue our thoughts along with the Sunday School lesson. It's Palm Sunday and I thought it was appropriate that we look at a little different dimension. Uh, although it was mentioned in the lesson aim, I don't, nobody really picked up. I didn't catch the word even mentioned, the idea of loyalty. And uh, my illustration here is is our loyalty level. Is our loyalty level to Christ increasing? Is our commitment to Christ uh, growing? And uh, that was one of the questions that I it was in the foreground, uh, for, in my mind foremost as I thought through the week here. And uh, I had to, one of the questions I asked myself, and maybe you asked this yourself as well, uh, what if you had been there this morning and, at, at the experience that we discussed in the Sunday lesson? What if you had been there? What would have been your response? We talked about Judas, we talked a little bit about Peter. What would have been my response? What would have been your response? Um, as I meditated on that, I, I thought about the uh, dimension of loyalty. And uh, I had to think about Christ, think about Jesus. You know, our verse in Mark 14, verse 50, it says, And they all forsook him. They all forsook him and fled. How alone Jesus must have felt. I don't know that I've ever experienced that. That all of my friends, I'm here all alone. There may be times I have felt that way. And I don't even remember feeling ever that way. Because there's always been somebody, at best my wife, that has stood by my side. And uh, I know there's other friends. But, uh, you know, to feel so alone. Uh, can I identify with the aloneness of Christ that he felt there in that experience? Now, he had his father uh and even he felt like his father forsook him at the very end. And I, I don't have an explanation of that either, that how could that uh, take place, that God could, some scriptures and commentators suggest that God had to turn his face and, and allow his son to be crucified. Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him, and uh, the question, you know, we can look at their lives, we can look at their experiences, their expressions, their lack of commitment, their depth of commitment and say, you know, we can look at them and, and fault them perhaps. But that's not what we're responsible for. I am responsible this morning for my commitment level to Christ. You, each of, each of you individually, are responsible for your depth of commitment to Christ. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning as we go through the scripture here. Matthew chapter 26. I'd like to just draw Peter's testimony here uh, just before. Prior to his denying him, Matthew 26, verse 33, Jesus was telling him what, foretelling the disciples what all was going to take place here in Matthew 26, verse 33. And this is Peter's response. That Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So all the disciples are there brought into the eye. We fault Peter, but all of the disciples were affirming of that thought. 
And whether they vocalized it, I think they were affirming it in their mind. Yep, Peter, you're right. Peter was the spokesman, often said it. And you know, we find ourselves that way many times, too. You know, people are saying things, and we maybe don't vocalize it, but we stand there and we nod our head in agreement. So we are party to what is being discussed. And uh, so all the disciples, I, I guess I'd just like to reemphasize the disappointment level uh, Christ experienced, you know, so soon afterwards. And here they were saying that, you know, we're standing with you. We're going to be here. And I know Peter made an effort to uh, defend Christ, but it was a carnal effort in swiping off that, that servant's ear. Uh, what should have Peter done? Well, maybe we shouldn't go there. That's not necessarily the... Uh, we want to look at what I should do, what you should do. And I'm hoping that uh, as we go through this message this morning that it will help us to be better prepared to a level of loyalty and commitment to Jesus Christ if we find ourselves in in an experience like the disciples did. Now that may be a hypothetical question, you know, to ask ourselves, what if I had been there? Because we can't, we can't go back there. And that's, again, that's a hypothetical question. But it it certainly does no harm to ask ourselves that question, because we may find ourselves in, in parallel situations similar to that. And there's the truth of the, one of the truths that stands out to me as I considered that question is that we can always recognize sin and defeat and disappointment uh, or failure to live up to commitment levels in other people's lives better than we do ourselves. That's, that's human nature. We see it in others better than we do ourselves. And uh, so we need to keep that in mind. And as I, I considered that thought, you know, I had to ask myself, are we, am I guilty of going to church? We sing hymns of devotion as we just got done doing, hymns of commitment, and yet we go about living our selfish lives, giving the Lord only one day, and then living the other seven or the other six days as selfishly as we desire to, as we talked about in the Sunday school lesson as Judas, seeming to have, want to have the best of both worlds. And, uh, we know it, it doesn't work that way. God wants our total commitment. God wants our total loyalty. Uh, not just one day a week. He wants it seven days a week. That's what God wants. It's good we have one day set aside for worship and focusing on our spiritual nature for our spiritual growth and, and nourishment. But the other six days are days that we need to, uh, communicate with the Lord and we need to understand what His purpose and will is for our lives as well. So this morning I want to, first part of my message here, I want to look back into history and, and perhaps draw some lessons from Judas' experience. The first one I want to uh, capitalize on is, and it speaks to us, is the lost opportunity that Judas uh, experienced. And that's in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses, uh, I might read quite a bit of that chapter actually. Matthew chapter 10 and this is, uh, I entitled this Lost Opportunity. And you just look at the opportunities that were Judas's as Jesus called him as one of his disciples. Each one of us here this morning that have named the name of Christ are followers of Jesus Christ, are his disciples. Put your name in there if you like. Verse 1 of chapter 10 of Matthew. And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, 
Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot. Notice particularly verse 4, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver, hmm, silver, nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when ye depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the child shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a father, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I'm going to stop reading there. 
I don't know if, as I read that passage of scripture in Matthew 10, I had to think of all the different things that stood out to me in what Jesus experienced in the relationship with his disciples at Calvary. First of all, I was challenged. Notice it says Judas was called. I think Dwight raised the question here in the Sunday school class in regards to Judas. You know, how could he have done what he did when he experienced, you know, living with the Lord for the years and seeing the ministry and the miracles that he performed? And, and we can ask ourselves that question. How can anyone turn their back on someone who has forgiven them of their sins, has sacrificed their life for my, the redemption of my soul? Lost opportunity is what I'm focusing on here in this chapter. Notice, he was called, Judas was called. Uh, he was actually commissioned to preach and to heal and to cleanse and to race and to cast out. I don't know if I ever thought about that before, but along with the other disciples, it seems like there was no distinction made that he was called upon to minister what uh, to those that uh, Jesus had uh, directed them to go to. Uh, verses 28 and 30, it says, Fear not man, but fear Satan. Jesus clearly told his disciples, you know, the fear of man is, is temporal. It's, it's so small in relation to the fear of him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. Satan is our arch enemy. Do we realize that this morning? I also had to think about the verses there in verses 32 and 33 where he, he mentioned about confessing me before man and then also denying me. And that's what the disciples experienced. The denying, Peter denying, and Jesus, uh, Judas betraying him. They denied Jesus as their Lord and Master. Lost opportunities. And uh, Jesus clearly in that passage is saying that he knew all things. What was going to take place was nothing, not a surprise to him. He knew what lay ahead of him, and yet he willingly trod that road to Calvary for uh, the redemption of the sins of mankind. Lost opportunity. Judas threw it all away. The second thing that I like to uh, look at Judas's experience is he was given trusted responsibility in John chapter 12. It seems like he had a rather unique responsibility than the other disciples in the fact that he was, I guess we would call him the treasurer. Notice in John 12 verses 1 through 6, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikered, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hairs. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence? And given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had to bag and bear what was put therein. With responsibility comes accountability. This equation is, is one that we need to keep foremost in our minds. As God entrusts us with responsibility, I don't, it doesn't matter what the level of responsibility is. With responsibility, there is a counterweight of a, of accountability, and we need to recognize that. And it seems like Judas did not comprehend that truth. Uh, he clearly here in the scripture is is given the title of a thief, so there was some misconduct evidently taking place with that bag of coins. You know, I've been preaching a series of sermons on coins, and here's my coin illustration in this sermon here this morning. 
you know, Judas had the bag of coins, and uh, he had the treasury money, it appears, and uh, he evidently uh, looked at that as his sole possession, his, and uh, rather than it being belonging to the master. Again, that's the counter-accountability. What I have, what I give to the Lord, it's, it all belongs to him. Judas seemingly did not recognize that. And I don't know what level of thievery he he was involved in. Uh, the scripture doesn't tell us that they, uh, how they knew he was a thief. Uh, we trust the scripture is making a, an accurate assessment of him. So God who knows everything, it, it's inspired. So there was evidently something taking place that was not appropriate. And uh, whether he was spending it on himself, I don't know. Um, we could imagine all sorts of things. But uh, we know the human nature. That we do know. We know human nature. And it uh, it tends to be selfish. And uh, whether he was just hoarding it up, I don't know. Or whether he was spending it on himself, that I do not know. That's only my uh, fabrication here if I want to follow that uh, route as well. So we know that our inclination, our human nature of inclination of selfishness and pride will get in the way of sometimes of acting responsibly. And we need the Lord's help to, as we are trusted responsibility, we need the Lord's help to to balance it with the accountability to those that we're responsible to. Ultimately to God, sure. Everything that I have been entrusted with, I need to answer to God. But then on a lower level, it's you as a brotherhood. It's my family. I'm accountable to them. And uh, if it's a business... If you're working employee, employer relationship, you know, that's another level of responsibility and accountability. Um, so again, just keep that in mind. Trusted responsibility. How Judas became treasure, the scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, it really doesn't matter. Maybe he volunteered. I don't know. Was he elected? I don't know. But, uh, you know, when, when Satan gets a hold of a person's life, it uh, that uh, responsibility gets out of balance with the accountability. You know, it's it's who I am. This is my responsibility. This is my bag of coins. No, it's not. It's the Lord's bag of coins. It's whatever I have. It's the Lord's. And I need to recognize that this morning. The third point I want to draw from Judas's experience, again, these are all things that we need to lost opportunity, trusted responsibility, and then the danger, the third one here, and I talked somewhat about that, is the danger of loving money. And uh, we could go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses... I should just turn to that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, uh, 6 through 12. 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 through 12. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. I like that verse, food raiment, therewith be content. And I think I mentioned sometime before, you know, it doesn't even mention dwelling places, just says food and raiment. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man, God, but thou... O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
30 pieces of silver. That was the price Judas bartered for a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to ask myself, what and why would anyone do that? What a poor, what a bad judgment. I just read the uh, account there where uh, Mary, back in Matthew, had made that sacrifice of anointing the Lord's feet with that very precious ointment. Probably a year's wages is what we're telling us. And Judas challenged uh, and voiced his dislike of that. And Scripture clearly tells us why he did that, because he wasn't interested in the poor. He was he was a thief. And, uh, you know, as I think of the danger of loving money, are we, are we faced with that same question today? Choosing between God and money? Do we face that same deception, the potential of that same deception? Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 tells us that no man can serve two masters. We can't do it. We may think we can try it. We may think we can attempt it to do it, but we cannot. We need to serve God or we need to serve, we'll follow Satan. We make that conscious choice. The danger of loving money. Judas was lured by that silver and denied his master for 30 pieces of silver. Probably some difference in opinion, but probably the price of a slave. And you think of the the value and the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. How could you put a price on that? Yet Judas stooped to that level and was willing to betray his master for 30 pieces of silver. The question comes to me, what would I, what have I, have I ever betrayed for my master for something less, much less? There's nothing can be compared to what the worth of Jesus is worth. Fourth thing I want to uh, challenge this on is the idea of self-examination. And that's, we often think of these verses, uh, you know, in answer to how did Judas arrive at the point where he arrived. Turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 5. Second Corinthians thirteen five, and then also First Corinthians eleven is another verse that uh, we often think of in relation around communion time, which is just coming up. I believe self examination is, is something we need to do daily. We have communion twice a year. Dwight preached a message on feet washing and attached to communion. You know, we observe that along with communion. We do it twice a year, but. We can't let examination in our lives go for twice a year. We need to do it daily. At least I need to. I need to do it daily. I need to daily put my life under the searchlight of God's Word and allow His Spirit to to speak to the needs in my heart and life. I need it. If you only do it twice a year, well, at least you do it then. But it'd be a task, at least for me, and I'm confessing here this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do not, that ye do no evil. 
not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. You want to be a perfect Christian? You know, it's something to strive for. And as we daily uh, examine our lives in the light of God's word, in the light of God's word, to me, that's the number one thing any one of us can do to move ourselves to a depth of loyalty or perfection and commitment in our relationship with Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 11, verse 28 is one again we read many times in communion, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. And again, that's talking about a relationship and a remembrance, remembrance of what Jesus his shed blood and his broken body for the forgiveness of my sins, your sins, the sins of the world. Self-examination is a necessary requirement. I don't know if Judas, I question whether Judas took the time to examine himself and allowed God's spirit to speak to him. It seems like if you follow through on, on what all transpired, it seems there was numerous times that, that Jesus reached out to Judas in an attempt to, to wake him up. And again, we see the mercy and the grace of God in that reaching out to him. And I know, I'm confident that God will do that for any one of his children that is turning his back on, on him. Fifth thing I see is the, the undeserving level of love that Jesus displayed. And that's my fifth point. And I'll turn to that verse there in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. We had it in our uh, Sunday school text, I believe. That no, was in Mark. This is in Matthew, but I think it was mentioned. No, maybe it didn't mention friend. But Jesus, uh, Jesus addressed Judas as friend, and uh, you know, you think of uh, the thoughts that were going through Christ's mind. You know, here he comes, betraying him, turning his back on him, throwing it all away, uh, and yet Jesus addresses him as a friend. The undeserving love of Jesus displayed in spite of our rejection of it, in spite of man's carelessness. What is my level of loyalty? What is my level of commitment? The sixth point I want to remind ourselves of is the is that God's program will continue in spite of man's failure or shortcomings. I'd like to read those verses in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this is after the death of uh, Judas after the death and resurrection of Christ. And uh, I was blessed as I, I look at, you know, it, they weren't, you know, for a time it seemed like the disciples were perhaps in a in an attitude of disarray, weren't sure exactly how to function. But here in Acts chapter 1, verses 23 through 26, um, it talks about what... Uh, Judas had what was done with the money there with Judas, the betrayal money there. And I want to break in reading um, verse 21. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, their disciples are just sitting here discussing, okay, we need a replacement for Judas. And they're saying we need to consider uh, who was among us that was accompanied with us, saw the miracles, saw all the uh, works of Jesus being done. And then in verse 23, or verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So the disciples saw the need and the importance of 
appointing someone to take Judas's place. And I, to me, that's refreshing to know that God's work is going to continue on. After I pass off the scene, God's work will continue. After and all of us pass off the scene, God's work, those that are faithful are, are rising to the call of God, God will continue to use them. And they appointed to Joseph called Barabbas, who was surnamed Justin and Matthias, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with eleven apostles. Now, we don't really read a lot about Matthias. I think he's mentioned maybe twice in the scripture. But here he was chosen, uh, I believe, at the direction of the Lord and uh, the apostles. And uh, it's encouraging to know. I thought of the verses in Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, where Jesus said, I will build my church. And today that truth stands true today. God is going to continue to build his church. Will you and I be a part of that? Second part of my message, I, I was challenged. I wanted to look at a more, I want to look, do a more forward look. This was a backward look at what lessons from Judas. Now I want to do more of a forward look. I was reading an article about uh, uh, loyalty and particularly brand loyalty. And as I was reading through this article about brand loyalty, I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth in here that actually I can make some spiritual applications to. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about brand loyalty, I, you know, I'm a baby boomer and, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll openly acknowledge I'm, I'm loyal to McDonald's. <laughs> I'm probably some of you younger ones sit there and say, maybe even some of you older ones say, wow. But you know, I, I grew up in the, uh, I turned, uh, you know, in the 70s there, I turned 16 and, uh, we found out McDonald's was coming to Ephrata, Pennsylvania. We thought that was the best thing that could have happened. I don't even know if it's still there or not. It's still there? Actually, I, uh, I told Stanley Fox, that used to be our meeting place. We, we'd meet, Saturday evenings there after things and uh, a bunch of us fellas and we'd uh, have a little snack there usually together, quarter pounder, Big Mac, whatever the case may have been. And I told Stanley at uh, at John and Rosemary's wedding, I said, you know, just for the fun of it, we should sometime back meet at McDonald's there some night. And uh, he excused himself. He said, well, he said, my, he said, Janet, my wife has me on a healthy mama diet right now. But uh, I'd still like to do that, if for nothing else, share a milkshake or something. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I know, uh, I guess the one thing I, I give them credit for, McDonald's is, is loyal to dairy farmers to a certain degree, so that's why I feel somewhat indebted to them. They're using butter, real butter, and I think their burgers have actually gotten better. Uh, now, again, that's just my personal opinion, but I'm, I'm being open about my loyalty to McDonald's. Now, I know Culver's is probably a step up. I like Culver's too, and again, I'm I'm loyal because, to them because I, if you've eaten there, you see the the thanks they give to, to the farmers, and I think that's uh, I appreciate that. I think that's uh, that's commendable. Well, going uh, through these articles of uh, loyalty, customer loyalty. The goal is to make your product or service affordable to your customers, and it needs to be tied to the value that it provides. This is the one thing they mentioned in the own start. The first thing is the idea of value. And uh, so as I think about from a spiritual perspective, uh, they mentioned, they said, it to value, it needs to solve a problem or fill a need. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, I, I need salvation. Uh, the sin problem is solved because of what Jesus has done on Calvary. And uh, so there is value there for all mankind. 
We need, we have a problem that there is no other solution for other than Jesus Christ. Value. Where else can you find it? Uh, the second thing is that of quality. Um, nothing else will work. And I thought of the verses in First Peter chapter 1, verse 19. I'm going to read these verses. I read these for the at our minister's meeting the other evening, but I'm going to just read them here again this morning because I think it's so special. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by a tradition from your fathers. So it's not necessarily... A, you know, our fathers had an instrumental part in, a, in it, in, in conveying it and, and the legacy and passing it on and in the teaching. That's good. But that is not enough. We need to make a personal commitment. But again, here he's talking about, particularly back to the Judaizers, I believe perhaps, and uh, the uh, Jewish way of of following Abraham. And, uh, you know, the, they many times said, well, they'd be Abraham's seed. And uh, Jesus had to tell him. He said, no. He said, you're not Abraham's seed. You're of the father. Your father, the devil. Verse 19 But with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing that ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And I'll stop reading there, but talking about quality, nothing else works. It's the precious blood of Christ that we uh, experience redemption. The third thing that they mention in in loyalty and in marketing is is the idea of price. Uh, most consumers are conscious of price. That's why, like McDonald's, they're affordable. But the price isn't always the ultimate determining factor when making decisions. You don't want to be, you don't want it to be. If your customers are solely focused on price and price alone, you never win them over to becoming true, loyal customers. Someone will likely always beat you on price at some point. Or you'll have to lower your price until it's not profitable. So I thought about price. I thought, you know, salvation is a gift. There really is no price. Well, I want to I want to qualify that. There is a price. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Richard, I think, quoted in the uh, uh, devotional this morning, it's, it's the gift of God, eternal life. What is the price? Well, there is a price, and that is, I read that earlier here in, this, in the message, the price of self-denial. We need to deny self. That's the price you have to pay to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to experience salvation. There needs to be that self-denial, giving it all to Christ. You cannot hang on to that bag of coins. You cannot hang on to anything else in this world. You've got to let it go. The price is right this morning. It's a gift. Praise God. Fourth thing, it talks about experience. And I thought of the verse... Maybe I should just read what they say about experience. The reason we as consumers continue to buy or don't buy is from a or from a particular company is because of the experience. We remember both the good and the bad experiences we've had during the buying process 
or while using the product or service. This plays a big part in whether or not we decide to purchase again from this company. Like first impressions, changing someone's mind after bad experience is hard, but not impossible. Well, as I thought about experience, I thought about the verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it tells us he was tempted in all points like as we are. Who else can we trust our journey with than the Lord Jesus Christ? He was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. I can follow this man or that man, but you know, if I look closely, there's probably a flaw somewhere. But you can unreservedly commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience victory if we continue to yield ourselves to the control of the Spirit, of His Spirit in our lives. Fifth thing they mention is that of convenience. Let's face it, we're all busy. A lot of times we buy things or go places because it's simply the easier choice. Oftentimes, what makes customers loyal is that they've removed the headache of shopping around. Whether it's buying online or going right around the corner, we often choose the most convenient option. We'll do this even if it means spending sometimes a little more. In other words, sometimes convenience can trump price. I thought of the verses in Acts chapter 17, and I'll read those verses as I thought of convenience, because Acts 17, beginning at verse 24, This is Paul preaching here on uh, Mars Hill, I believe it is. And uh, he's telling them, I'll break into verse 23. For I passed by and beheld your devotion. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if after they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Catch that? though he be not far from every one of us. Each one of us, to think of how convenient, how close God is to us. If we reach out to him, he's seeking, he's there. He's ready to answer the diligent seeker. He's not far from every one of us. It's convenient. Was that Felix that said there is not, there will be a more convenient time? We don't know if he ever found a more convenient time. But again, God is faithful, God is there, God is close. The sixth point they mentioned is that of nostalgia. Um, I found that one somewhat interesting. If your product or service taps into fond memories from a consumer's past, and that's probably where my McDonald's comes up, I've got a lot of good memories of eating Quarter Pounders and Big Macs with my friends. Um, it says it's a good chance they will buy again and often be loyal to your, to your brand over your competitors. For, explain, for example, places they grew up. Going, for, for example, places they grew up going to may hold a special meaning to them, and they will want to continue that tradition with their family. Well, I'm not enforcing eating McDonald's on my family, at least once they're out of my roof, under my roof. But uh, that's just my personal nostalgia. I thought of the verses in Second Timothy chapter, Second uh, Timothy one verse five. Familiar verses. Paul here writing to Timothy. He says, when, it, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. And he talks, he's talking about the faith that Timothy had. He said, I'm calling, I'm calling to remembrance that faith, that unfeigned faith, that genuine faith, that true faith 
that is in thee. But he says, It was first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois, and then a mother, and in thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that is in thee also. So Paul was playing on the nostalgia part of, uh, of the dimension of a relationship with Jesus Christ here. He said, you know, Timothy, you've had it. Others before have had it. And each one of us sitting here this morning are a link in that nostalgia or legacy of passing on the faith. The seventh thing they mentioned is that of uh, the social aspect of it. And we are social beings, whether we realize it or not. We, that's why we're here this morning. If we weren't social beings, we'd probably all sit at home and have church ourselves and talk to the Lord. And that, to me, is is not good enough. We need social interaction. We need social interaction as brethren and sisters in the Lord. What they say from a social aspect is, they make two statements here. They say, first of all, there's social responsibility. And then they say there's social influence. Let's look at social responsibility first. Consumers tend to be more loyal to the brand if they overall feel the company is social responsible. In other words, they demonstrate shared beliefs or value systems. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the second thing is social influence, on the other hand, is when our thoughts and behaviors are impacted by those around us. So I'm telling you I like McDonald's. How many of you are going to try it sometime? <laughs> now I'm putting you to the test. I'm going to have to work on it some more. Well, no, not really. I don't care if you eat a McDonald's or not. But uh, we do socially impact. Now, if you're riding with me in my car and I stop at McDonald's, you might have to eat there. (laughs) You're driving a hard bargain. (laughs) Well, as I thought about the social dimension of it, uh, I had to think of, especially as it thinks of shared beliefs, uh, I thought of the verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I want to read those verses there talks about the work of Christ in our lives and us embracing, allowing him to express his workmanship in our being. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We need to live in good works. We need to be a channel of God's love, a channel of God's good works in this world. We, we are embracing the same value system that God embraces. That should be our, our, uh, our motto. Our, there's another more, tom, more uh, modern term. What's the word I want? Mission goal, mission statement. That should be our mission statement. Uh, that we are what God wants us to be. We are his workmanship created in Christ unto good works. As I thought about the dimension of the uh, the social aspect of it, the brotherhood dimension of it, or how we impact each other. I thought of the verses in First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 11. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, Toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So as we have God's love shed abroad in our hearts and lives, it ought to impact the world around us. And uh, we need to make that a goal in our lives, that we are... Uh, Shedding God's love abroad in uh, 
the world in which we live and our communities in which we live. And there's a song that I was reminded of. It's in the Zion's Praises, and unfortunately that book is not in the rack here. So I will just read that. Roderick wasn't sure he knew it, but he said he'd be willing to try it. But uh, it's a very, has a good message. So I'm going to read that song to you. Uh, I'll be a friend. They tried my Lord and Master with no one to defend. Within the halls of Pilate, he stood without a friend. Verse 2, the world may turn against him. I'll love him to the end. And while on earth I'm living, my Lord shall have a friend. Verse 3, I'll do what he may bid me. I'll go where he may send. I'll try each flying moment to prove I'm his friend. Verse 4, to all who need a savior, my friend, I recommend. Because he brought salvation is why I am his friend. And I'll be a friend to Jesus. My life for him I'll spend. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my years shall end. I trust that's your testimony this morning.